Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and today we're in the car wash with the glow stick of destiny. <laughs> That's right. Today we are breaking the century mark. We're talking about Minute 100, which begins with a barrier of pure energy and ends with Tony pouring himself a drink. Joining us on the show today, we have Marvelous Tay from Twitch TV. Hello there, Taylor. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, we are thrilled to have you uh, joining us uh, for the first time on the show. It uh, should be a lot of fun uh, talking about uh, the Avengers. We're uh, just to kind of getting a, a bit to know you a little bit. In the sense of kind of like the, the Marvel films, where does the Avengers uh, stack up for you? For me entirely, I mean, this is the big grounding crucial point in this entire phase right this is this is the part that we were all waiting for the moment we saw iron man hit the big screens we all knew it was coming but this is finally it and this is probably one of my favorite films in that entire phase hands down no no argument maybe the entire you know infinity saga to be honest such a great movie that's awesome. That is awesome. This is such a fun moment that we have here as as Tony uh, really kind of uh, confronts Loki here at the start of Act 3. In the scope of, like, picking minutes, how did you end up landing on the—we're talking about uh, today's minute and then Monday's minute, the very next one. What was it about this section of the film that uh, drew you to pick them? I think for me entirely on why I picked it is I, I do love when two giant— ego men are battling out with verbal in one tiny room because we're dealing with tony who has the ego size of the entire avengers you know stark tower and then you have the ego (laughs) logan who thinks he is the god of all the universes so i think that's what really intrigued me and it's like kind of the first time you see tony actually accepts that he is an avenger he accepts that he's a part of the team this is it you know and he in a kind of weird way he is the leader but not both captain and him go back and forth so i think with that that's why i liked it a lot because we're like that is the crucial moment we have the entire team except they are the avengers yeah i feel like that's a that's the thing we've been waiting for this to happen for so long like the whole idea that it's taken to minute 100 of the sixth movie for everyone to agree all right let's play nice exactly <laughs> yeah We've seen them fighting each other. We've seen them, uh, you know, having all sorts of spats in the uh, in the lab. This is finally the chance uh, that we get to see. You know what? Maybe I will be part of this thing. And yeah, it's nice. Right. It's nice to see. Uh, you know, this whole thing. I, we're coming into this minute though. Um, this is this point right after Tony. Uh, again, we talked about this yesterday's minute. Why did he decide to uh, just say, you know what? I'm just going to blast that Tesseract. It looks like something that's smart to do. And it didn't work. And of course, this is when Jarvis informs him the barrier is pure energy, which I, I don't know. I mean, is that like such a comic book line there? Is like the idea of just like the Tesseract has generated this barrier of pure energy around it and nothing can get through now. That's why I was so shocked in that movie. I was like, this guy should know already, as he does create pure energy for his art reactor because of Iron Man 2, he made the new element for his new art reactor. Like, that is pure energy. How would you not know that would create a, a barrier? Like, right. <laughs> right. You made it, dude. You, 
you did it. <laughs> Come on now. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe he thought for a second because he also holds the pure energy. Maybe he could break it. I don't know. It threw me for a loop when I saw it. I was, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I mean, it did make me wonder because I, I don't think that it did this. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Tesseract did not do this at the beginning of the film when it was generating, when uh, Selvig had put it in that machine at the beginning. There was no sign that it had created some form of pure energy. So I don't know if this is the iridium now that he has that that's kind of helping it to do this. Or if, as you just said, is it the fact that this whole thing is now tied into Tony's uh, massive amount of constant clean energy that they've tapped into by building this thing here at the top of Stark Tower. So you're saying they're actually piped into the ocean uh, ocean cable that we saw in the beginning? (laughs) Yeah. Is that what he's doing? Selvig is actually there because he has to pipe into the big pipe? They need Tony's energy, right? The whole thing is like connecting to that clean energy. It's weird, but I'll allow it. I mean, I think think it's that uh, I think they purposely created that machine to uh, take the energy to Tesseract to make the barrier. That's kind of how I just kind of assumed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think they hardwired to the Stark Towers. That's, that was a whole like, that was a whole stage performance. Thing. Yeah, right. That was all like, <laughs> that was looking saying, oh, look at that. I got you guys like right yeah. here. Look at me mocking, you know, at your tower. It's like him, like, uh, you know, a dog would mark on a on like a fire hose. It's just like that. <laughs> That's what he was doing. doing here? He's like, now nah, this is mine. <laughs> Yeah, Loki okay. is the dog yeah. peeing on Stark yeah. Tower. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this okay. is not mine. I want here. You lost. Standing, yes. No, that's perfect. <laughs> now we we really need that on a shirt. Yeah, that's, Loki that's lifting his funny. leg over a hydrant that says Stark on it. <laughs> oh, that is. Well, it's, just, it's perfect because it's, yeah. once again two giant egos. Loki knows that he has the ego size of that entire tower, so he can he thinks he can out ego him. In this little eagle war, of, yeah. you know, it's little mental eagle war. So it's like it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny, it, and it is I mean, exactly because I mean that's and it's funny because Tony recognized Loki's ego, and that's what helped him actually figure this whole thing out when he was it, when he and uh, Steve were talking um, on the helicarrier right before they came here. It was him talking about Loki's ego and how he wanted to have his name at the top of the biggest building and all this sort of stuff. And that was exactly the trigger. So it is the ego recognizing ego that actually draws him here, which is very funny. It's it's perfect. And I guess that's what kind of, uh, I don't know if he actually intended there being a plan B. It's just this idea of, um, you know, he sees Loki down there at kind of on the, the patio of his penthouse. And that's what triggers him plan B, which I guess, uh, I don't know if, if plan B is just a direct confrontation of Loki or perhaps more specifically, I need to get the Mark seven suit and kind of like that whole thing of kind of putting or, or both. I mean, I don't know where, when he says, uh, onto plan B, I mean, what was your sense of, uh, what his intentions what, were? What is plan B? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I think the moment he realized because Tony's smart, like th- that guy is smart. Let's never undermine undermine him. He's an intelligent guy. So I think he, it was a little bit of both. I think he was playing on it like, on the whim and be like, okay, I gotta trap this guy in a room for a hot minute, kind of catch him in a, in a corner, get him mad enough because his suit was already weakened prior for him to enter. His suit was weakened, and I think it was perfect play as 
you know, it's a weak suit. Everything's damaged. You know, suit can be destroyed by a staff like easy peasy because it's how damaged. So he comes off looking weak. Loki thinks he's got the advantage because now he is caught, you know, Iron Man into a weak point. Psych, there's a hidden suit somewhere that he has no idea about. And then the whole war has begun. Yeah. So I, I think it's a bit of both. I think he was like kind of winging it, but knew that if he catches Loki in this ego war and kind of like strikes him down, um, that he could kind of win mentally in a sense. Well, and, and by like win and by just enough time for Jarvis to spin up, uh, and, and do its damn job. AI. (laughs) Freaking Jarvis. Yeah. Jarvis. Well, this is very much like part of Tony's. I don't know. I feel like it's been written so much into the the franchise now, and maybe I'm just misremembering it. But I feel the idea of like Tony's delayed tech, like it's it's yeah, it's always just getting finished, just in the nick of time for him to actually use it. Like I feel like there's, I don't know. I feel like if you go through all of Paul Bettany's lines when he was uh, Jarvis before he became Vision, half of the lines are probably it's not quite ready, sir, yeah, but it'll be ready right. in just a moment. Well, Andy, <laughs> like check me on this. Isn't there actually a spinning rims line in Iron Man? I could have sworn exactly in his possible, initial yeah. like paint job, he was like, save it for the spinning rims or something. I think there's something Actually, I think you're it. right. Yeah. I think you're right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a callback. Yeah, because I think it's when uh, he first wanted to launch his suit in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I don't think we're ready for it. He's like, oh, let, let's go. And then he yeah. ends up sh- shooting right out. Right. And right. learning his first mistake. It's all a spinning rims thing. It's, I mean, you know, it's so fun though. I mean, it's, it just plays into that's, that's, I think, part of the nature of the character, right? Is the idea of this person who is always pushing. And we know, I mean, as this scientist uh, that he is, that's part of kind of his whole thing is he's always pushing whatever elements of science he can. And if that means that he needs to get his suit done early, he needs to get his suit done early, you know, or, and, and I, I think that's just kind of like the whole, kind of just the way that he plans on all of this stuff. So it's, I mean, it just fits in with his whole MO. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's, it's perfect because, you know, he is that he is the one that always wants to improve. He's always room for improvement. He always learns from mistakes. If you look in his entire movie career uh, in the MCU, you see that when he learns one mistake for one movie, you see that his suit upgrades and fixes that one mistake. Like we kind of see during, in Endgame, he learns from the Avengers when Thor uses, you know, thunder and strikes him down that his suit absorbs it. So he learned that lesson and apply it into uh, Endgame when he absorbs and then has this like, you know, extra cannon in the sense that expands to strike down Thanos. That's what he always does is constantly, you know, constantly improving with this Mark 7. He learns from Iron Man 2 when he got the suitcase it took so damn long mm-hmm. and carrying around is just, you know, someone can easily steal it if, you know, cause it's just a freaking suitcase. So like, what's better than having, you know, a bracelet tracking suit? Why not? <laughs> That's right. That's it's perfect. Falling around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's so good. Um, before we kind of get into this moment where he's actually confronting Loki, I just want to ask real quick, what has Loki been doing this whole time? Did Loki, I'm assuming that Loki 
saw Tony fly up and perhaps that's why he walked out. But I guess my questions and, you know, we've we've talked about this a little bit, like why wasn't Loki up here with Eric? And then what has Loki been doing this whole time? I, I kind of like picturing him down on the patio, just kind of giggling as he watches Tony go through this whole thing with the Tesseract up above. Like, it's just like, what is he doing? I don't know. He's just standing around waiting. I look at the other way. Like, I wonder, speaking of lessons Tony should learn, is do you really want to have a completely open greenhouse to your most sacred office and technical lab space that evildoers can just walk in and out of, right? Like, the glass is just open up there. So Loki is, like, hanging out, like, flushing all the toilets, jumping on the beds. Like, I just (laughs) imagine him just sullying the place. Is, well, now that's just gone down a very dark and, and weird, <laughs> weird road. <laughs> Loki's whole mo. I'm just going to. I'm going to tell you a disgusting story. It's a side story, but it makes me think of Loki here. My dad told me when he was a kid that his house was robbed by a a, a thief, a house burglar named the Pooper, because he got such. He was so anxious that he would poop in all the toilets and leave it there, and then take all your jewels and stuff and leave. So maybe that's what Loki's doing: is pooping in all of Tony's toilets. <laughs> it's so gross. The Pooper. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, kid, from, that kid's got a legacy. That's a title right there that keep you for a lifetime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess for me, I kind of always thought like almost like comparing to Lion King in a weird way, like Scar, when he's like, this is it. This is my kingdom. Look at look at this. They're all weakened. And like he said earlier in his speech, you know, he believes that everyone is weak and only a true leader like himself can bring the weakened back into full strength, but they have to praise him. And I think that was this moment where he's just like, I'm going to let them all scream in terror. And then I'm going to come in like mm-hmm. the big punchy hero, like, look at me. I can control, you know, the, the Chitauri tribe. I should be your leader. I'm the one that is right and all doing. So I think for him, he's just kind of like watching the chaos begin so he can go in and be the hero. I think he was kind of mapping that out. And he has to deal with them as, you know, in, in a little underlining deal, which I've learned in a book. I highly recommend to read this. It's called Thanos Titan Consumed. It was by Barry Lyon, and I think it's his last name. But little than Loki knows in this deal that he made so he can rule Earth, the Dachari tribe made a deal with Thanos that they needed to find a warm-blooded planet since they were living in a cold-blooded planet and they're cold-blooded creatures. Loki didn't understand that he got pretty much double, you know, double underestimated because they were wanting to take over Earth to pretty much start living in Earth. That was their whole plan. And Loki had no idea. So that's even more scary to think about is that he thought he was going to rule Earth. This is all him. This is all his. And (laughs) he knows that Thanos was like, ah, you're just a little pot in my play. And that's That's, that. So was that question about that, that book is that like canon to this chitari mm-hmm. like yes, not it's canon to yes. the, this avengers chitari that's fascinating yeah it's a really great great read it brings in a lot of puzzle pieces of how thanos got to that point of battle in new york to the battle of wakanda and so on and so forth it, you you see how it all kind of came together and it's 
really interesting read. Yeah, Does totally. it explain like his thinking in, because I mean, this is something we've talked about a little bit um, in giving uh, like the scepter, which I'm, I don't know. I'm assuming he knew was the mind stone to somebody else to take care of instead of just holding on to it himself or coming himself. Is that ever? He knew that that, he knew that that was the mind stone and he knew that that was what he needed to rule to take over the Avengers as Loki already knew. Loki's also very smart. He knows that by himself, without anything else, he couldn't battle the Avengers. Even without his brother, he couldn't do it. So yeah. he needed them to break apart for him to win. And that was his hmm. entire plan. But to do that, he needed something powerful enough to kind of do that. And the mindset was a perfect decision with that scepter, as he yeah. could control however he pleased. And if someone said to him, ah, no, man, now sit back down. You're just a little kid. He's like, Oh yeah. You think, you think that mind control, like not your mind. It was perfect play for him. Perfect play. Huh? Interesting. Very interesting. Well, um, all right. So we're at this point, um, Loki and Tony are, um, get, basically going to have this, uh, this ego face off as we've been <laughs> kind of talking about. Tony lands on the car wash and it, uh, starts taking off his armor, which is just always fantastic. To always. Watch. Uh, it's just such a cool, uh, well designed bit of tech that they have here. It's, it's incredibly fun. And they both, um, slowly head inside. And um, at this point, uh, they kind of start this uh, this conversation where Tony, I, I don't know, I love the. Sh there's a shot as he's going through the the car wash, uh, like a close up of his face as he's just kind of eyeballing Loki and looking at him, and he's got this look in his eye that is just very intense and in and. Uh, intent and like there's this um i don't know it's almost like an eye roll like this guy sort of thing like there's something about tony's reaction here that i don't know i i love this sense that we're getting of this character who i mean we've known him since the start of this entire marvel cinematic universe with the first iron man there's something that i think really kind of portrays the the wheels spinning in his head as he's really trying to kind of put his plan together and, and how he's going to do this. I mean, yeah. I mean, what are we getting out of like this, this walk between the two as they're heading inside to face off? Well, that's it. First of all, that's it. Like it is the face off and they have to walk around each other. But, you know, we just watched uh, for another show we did. We did. We just watched uh, Mission Impossible. And this reminds me of a Brian De Palma shot like that close up of the character looking back past camera is like, a super dramatic thinking shot that we get in in some of Brian De Palma's like focus on on uh, like noir camera, and I I just love it. It's so fast, but it's a very different shot on Tony than we've gotten from him in the rest of this. Certainly, the rest of this movie, uh, and I think it amps up the conversation that's about to happen. I love it. Oh, it's a, it's a great scene. Also, I love the little detail is that when he starts to disassemble. He has to look straight to have the headpiece to take off, and then he looks off back yeah. to Loki because he was looking at him the entire time. Then he looks straight and then come back because he knew what if the headpiece would have been taken off if he had to right. keep going. But <laughs> I, I think catch though, yeah, it's it's not as fun if he's just like ow 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 yeah, ow. <laughs> <laughs> you got my hair. Ow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it still dawns me to this day that 
how the hell has does your hair look that good right <laughs> when the helmet yeah. is off or being how tight fitted that helmet yep. is how does the hair look volumized and all proofed <laughs> studio level it still does not make sense to me it's it's like a salon dryer though like in right. there that jarvis is put in a salon dryer in the helmet so it's constantly blowing and circulating yeah. or coming out of something <laughs> i don't know it just drives me bonkers well, same thing with his clothes, which is something I always bring up. Like, why yeah. are they not wrinkled? Like, yeah. they're so compressed inside that suit. He's wearing them under the suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why is he like that sweating? Like, I would be sweating in a metal suit, being yeah, contacted by his son all yeah. the time. <laughs> Holy much! Come on. No, this is insane. <laughs> Does not make sense to me. Science. Where's the science? Yeah, right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, more real yeah. science in yes. these movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I mean, for me, it's, it's perfect because they're both studying their, each other. Um, they're both like learning. They're both like reading each other. They, they think they got one another. And once again, Loki has that mindset of thinking, oh, oh, I got him. Like he's now in my turf. He's fallen into my trap. He's, I got him. And but right. with Tony, he's like, all right, I can see that you think you're one. Like you're coming out on top. Like he speaks a little prior. And that's cute. Now, man, I got this. Just watch. I mean, it comes out so perfectly, uh, you know, as Loki walks in and and please tell me you're going to appeal to my humanity. And Tony's response is just so perfect, Tony, and fits so well with everything he's trying to do here. Uh, Actually, I'm planning to threaten you. Like just the way that like he's playing against kind of the expectations of the scene. It's, It's fun to kind of get that what he's doing here and this whole idea of threatening him. Oh, it's perfect. I also love the entire time we see that entire minute. I love that he constantly is covering his wrists because he wants to make sure that Loki's never doesn't see that he wasn't wearing a bracelet prior. And the whole time you see him, he's behind large structures. He's behind the big balcony and his hands are always behind his back. He wants to make sure that he doesn't see it. Though that what throws me off is that he ends up pouring a drink, and you can blatantly see that there is no bracelet. So it's like, <laughs> how is blind is Loki that he does not see this empty wrist and then magically appear a bracelet? Threw me off. Yeah, good point. I, although I will say, I mean, the camera comes up, so the camera is definitely higher over the bar, and we can definitely see that his wrist. So maybe uh, yeah, don't Loki have the bracelet have an angle, but. But yeah, because Loki is still lower and the bar, the bar I'd like to think might be high enough where he's not getting a good eye line on the wrists. But um, I don't know. That's just a, a, a guess. But um, yeah, it's an interesting setup that he has, though, here. And it's and it's fun. And this is why I, I like the, the scripting here in the scene, because Loki's talking about, um, you know, appealing to my humanity, stalling me, all these sorts of things that Loki is saying. And yes, to a certain extent, Tony is doing all of those things, but all Tony ever says is, no, 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 I'm threatening you. I'm planning on threatening you. <laughs> this, this is the part where we threaten. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, it's that buildup. <laughs> like, Loki thinks he's going to get it, like, the, the big breaking point, but Tony's like, no, I'm going to let you marinate on this. I want to let you marinate, because well, it's until, until he starts walking towards him, where he says, you know, to him, there's no point of you coming in on top. And that was the threat. That was the point of him being scared. Well, and he does call it out too. Loki says stalling me won't change anything, and Tony is actually stalling him, and it does change things. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> I love that. It's a such a power move to call it out like that. It's like the pen and teller of of threatening conversations. Like you, I'm telling you how I'm doing it, and it's still working. 
And it makes Loki terrified because then yeah. he realizes that Tony does know who he is and he does read him because Loki always believes that he is completely misunderstood mm-hmm. and no one knows him. Well, now there is one person that knows him and that's what scares the living gods out of him to the point that he wound up throwing him over the building because he knows that if one person knows him, the whole thing will be solved. Yeah, right. That's actually a really good question. Do you think Loki would have responded so aggressively against against any of the other Avengers um, by throwing them through the, the window later? Like, or, or is that reserved just for Tony because Tony's effectively calling him out? But possibly a question we can't answer, but it's interesting. I think regardless, if, if someone calls him out, he will react aggressive, you know? Yeah. And act in fear. Like he does, does with Black Widow in that whole dialogue. When she finally cracks the code of what he was doing and why he wanted to be, you know, on, on the ship. He gets scared. And then because of him being scared, he reacts aggressive. Because like he says in this entire movie, when people are scared, they are weakened. They need strength. So for him, when he gets caught, he needs to make sure he throws in every punch that he can get to be back on top of being a terrifying person. Right. Right. And there is an element also of this whole idea of, uh, as we're talking about kind of the varying things between their back and forth, the fact that when Tony walks in and he's just taken his armor off, Loki's first thing is like, well, you should have left your armor on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it does make me wonder if, Tony had had his suit on. I just I don't think that Loki would have um, thrown him out the window like he does. I, I think I think he's ta- fully taking advantage of the fact that he does think that he has he a uh, one up on Tony here and okay. and is like mm-hmm. oh, okay I'm going to toss him out the window and get rid of him without realizing of course that Tony has this ulterior motive with all of this. And we should say any talk of the bracelets should be reserved for tomorrow because he doesn't actually put the bracelets <laughs> yes. on until minute one hundred one. Yes. So no. we know Sorry, that. I know I'm like, ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it. It all feels like it's so of a piece, but uh, but he does draw it out long enough, like to the point that, like I, I do. I had to go check. I was like, that's. Yeah. I think that's. I think he doesn't put them on until tomorrow. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sorry, that was my fault. I, I jumped a little bit too ahead. I get too no, excited. No, no, no. no. That's totally fine. It's fine. Yeah. But you know, he's, he's stalling even us. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's just kind of crazy thinking about because then I have an ongoing question about, you know, what if he does put, you know, leave the suit on because of the actions would happen in Age of Ultron with the Mind Stone and Jarvis. Would the staff control Jarvis in a sense, like how he takes apart the Mind Stone and realizes there's another mind into it? If he if Loki staffs it, will he control it? Is my good question. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because, as we'll see in in a couple minutes, uh, you know, the scepter doesn't penetrate the the arc reactor in his chest when he taps him on the chest, and there's there's not that sense of of control. But it it does beg the question: like, what ends up kind of leading to that connection that we'll get to by the time we get to Ultron? You know, it's it was an ongoing question that I asked myself when I was watching this. It's like, wait a minute, what if he does leave the suit on? What would actually happen? Right, then, right, right. Then we would be in a world of hurt because then Tony would be trapped <laughs> in his own suit that he can't control. Oh, that's actually a oh. terrifying idea of being trapped in a suit that something else is controlling. It's like being inside of Ultron. I was just going to say, yeah, it's like the it's like Ultron, but they didn't quite realize that Ultron could be even scarier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
it's terrifying. And I was, I was when I was watching this, it's like, oh, that's going to be really messed up. Yeah, jeez, that yeah, is no messed up. Wow. Okay, well, thanks for that, Taylor. God, <laughs> nightmare factory, right? It's terrifying. But I mean, th- that entire scene of him walking, very like light and fluff, like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to threaten you. I just, I need a drink first because you know Tony's a little low key alcoholic. So Tony. So he's Tony, a little yeah. bit of an alcoholic, and he, even it's in the comics too that he's an alcoholic. Oh yeah, yeah, great to run too. Where yeah. they end up losing, I think he ends up losing the entire Stark Towers. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was like, oh. seriously, dark uh, line of comics there. Which I was like, kind of weird. Why? Why were you drinking after the actions of Iron Man two? You you know got so drunk at your own house party. Mm-hmm. Why you should be drinking now? Drinking on the job too? Did you drinking on the job? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. But again, that's actually a really interesting sort of approach because like it, it really addresses that that Iron Man like Tony's vulnerability uh, is is actually also the same vulnerability of Loki, which is his hubris. Like Tony lives with this just narcissism that he can do no wrong. So, of course, he's going to believe he has complete control over his over his drinking, right? He, just like he has control over all his tech. And that ultimately, at least in that particular run, is what becomes his undoing, is his belief that he can control the world. And we, we that plays out in comic book mode in the MCU in mm-hmm. Age of Ultron, where he can't control the technology. Um, so Yeah, right, right. It's, it's, it's kind of a beautiful foreshadowing, in a mm-hmm. sense. Really, truly, yeah. It really is. We do... We do get Tony, uh, as you already mentioned earlier, Pete, um, calling the scepter the glow stick of destiny, <laughs> which is great. Uh, do you think, okay, we've been kind of doing, we have, you know, Tony's nickname tracker that we've been um, running as, <laughs> does, as it he count? does his nickname. Does this count as a nickname? I was like, Absolutely. it's not a person. I, oh, yeah. Oh, it okay. totally counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then this is number six of yes. Tony's nicknames in this okay. film. So just Beautiful. just to keep in keep in track of all. Have of these. we been Absolutely. keeping track across all of the movies so far? Do we have a total nickname tracker? I, I only so started many. with this film. I didn't start it with the first. You know two what? I'm gonna. Films. I'll start over. I'll start over. Yeah, from the beginning we'll jump back and, just to track. Okay. Just oh, there's so okay. many. Best one's Point Break. That one I heard yeah, that Point Break. Happy. My yeah. thought off. It was perfect. That is, that is a great one. Absolutely, and it's great because as Robbie Downey Jr. he. He loves to kind of keep the writers and the, the directors on their, on his toes because he loves to improvise. And I think that was another improvised line for him. So I, I kind of want to hear the other ideas that he was mm-hmm. thinking behind his head that he really Yeah, right? Called. Oh, you know, he's got some good ones for sure. <laughs> 100%. And his wardrobe's great. That's another two. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. He always is, yeah, just just very fun outfits. And I mean, just they're so casual. You know, they're just casual cool. I like I like what he's wearing. Which is perfect for this, like, this specific uh, minute as he wears, like, just jeans and a t-shirt. He wears Black Sabbath, like, the, the, the tour yeah. of, like, I think it was, like, 97, <laughs> I think it was the tour. I think it's uh, yeah I can't we I know we talked about we it in the previous that. minute I can't remember specifically but yeah it was well like it was the tour where um who was did we David decide was it Ozzy Osbourne it was Ozzy Osbourne or David Lee Roth one yeah. of those two went missing on the tour some crazy thing so yeah very funny which was uh, funny because I think the tour was called Never Say Die right mm-hmm, I think right. that was the shirt and I maybe I I live in a household full of Taylor Swift fans where Easter eggs are so small and little where you gotta, you know, dissect the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're wearing a shirt that's, you know, based on a concert that's never say die. 
This is yeah, this is right. the movie you chose to wear it, or this even this phase. Interesting, you right. know. <laughs> and maybe I'm diving way too deep in the world of this movie. I'm sure it's just like it's just a t-shirt, Taylor. Like relax. But still, it's just kind <laughs> of funny. Taylor, it's, it's never just a t-shirt. Right. Kremlin, <laughs> Kremlinology has no floor. <laughs> it's just it's perfect. And once again, like with this whole dialogue of him like being all light and fluffy, he's just not. He's not looking threatening. He's just like ah, just yeah. Tuesday attire, grabbing a nice little glass right. of whiskey and calling it a day. <laughs> right. right, exactly. It's perfect. Um, I do have a a question that uh, I think may lead to a, a you know conversation far down the the road, but I think it's an interesting um, thing to talk about. We've talked about the fact that uh, Clint had this Quinjet from somewhere. We're not exactly sure uh, when. Yeah, I know when. Uh, the, when they leave, it's Loki and the pilot that take off in the Quinjet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if Loki hopped out of the Quinjet and the pilot kind of took off and went somewhere else or went to land it. I'm not exactly sure. But I was wondering, uh, in the scope of, of mysterious Quinjets over the course of the franchise, do you think that there's a possibility that the Quinjet that they took is the one that goes onto the black market that ends up in Natasha's hands in Black Widow? Good Look question. at you speaking of criminology. Well done. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I was just like, I mean, Quinjets, you know, are hard to come by. And that's something that right. her friend really points out. Like, you know how hard this was to get? I was like, huh. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. There is this missing Quinjet that happens in this <laughs> film. I mean, maybe. I it, yeah. would, it would be really nice to add those pieces together. It would be very nice. As yeah. That was them, once again, battling together. That was the plane that pretty much helped uh, save New York. It'd be kind of cute. But... <laughs> also, there's a... there's. There's working on a, they're working on a whole Disney Plus series that's all from the perspective of that pilot. It's just the pilot. It's called the pilot story. Yes. And uh, he, so he and that. his his pet Quinjet <laughs> traveling oh, the world. This, this, uh, but is there a bilge snipe that he can right. travel with? That's the real, <laughs> That's right. That's real right. question. I mean, All right. It's a good question. It's a good question. He threw me for a loop. It's a really good question. I mean, Loki is notorious jumping off planes, as we see multiple times in this film. He is. Yeah. He loves jumping off and you know being all scary with his giant cape, like he a bat jump man. off high things, right? He's a yeah. big jumper. <laughs> like he is. Bat. All for the uh, dramatics. Oh, he is so that. Well, that's Loki. He is. is. He's so dramatic. It so is. Dramatic. It's God perfect. of mischief. God of uh, dr- drama. Which is great. They did. They did such a great job on this entire film because Loki really never had like the limelight in the comics, and then they gave him this. Yeah, beautifully done. Oh, and uh, obviously Tom Hiddleston, uh, you really kind of uh, made the part uh, what it is, because I don't think without Tom Hiddleston, we would have ended up having a Loki TV show. No, that or Matt Damon, though. Matt Damon's really good Loki, though. (laughs) (laughs) True. Very true. Very true. He's a fantastic Loki. If you couldn't have him, I would take that. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) Well, let's wrap today up. We'll have one more minute with you uh, in uh, kind of right now. We're going to talk about Minute 101 with you, uh, Taylor. So we'll come back for that. But before uh, we take off, uh, tell everybody about what you're doing over on Twitch TV. For me, so I do Marvel Mondays with Marvelous Day. It's a lot of M's. 
it's practically like multiversal <laughs> madness. So many, of, so many M's. Um, so I break down Marvel movies and TV shows to help everyone understand uh, in an easier form that haven't been part of the comic book franchise, like myself, especially as new upcoming phase. To make it all easy and understandable. Um, I play a variety of games. A lot of it's story-driven. And we just kind of play with the community and just kind of have fun. That's the whole point. It's just to get away from life, be distracted, and watch me do the most shenanigan things. <laughs> That's awesome. That's well, uh, uh, we will have the link for that uh, along with your other socials in our show notes. So everybody check that out. Marvelous Tay right here. And uh, so that's it for today. So Taylor, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Minute 100. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we had a blast. We'll be back on Monday with Minute 101. So Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, Andy, we're going to the jeweler. <laughs> bracelets, <laughs> right? Time. It's a bracelet. It's a jeweler bracelet. Beautiful. That's right. That's right. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>